0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Treasuring Christ Church Online. We're so thankful that you've decided to join us in this format. We're grateful over the next few weeks to, to be able to gather in this way as we uh, seek to, to care well for our neighbors and to, uh, to pray for and work towards the stop of the spread of COVID-19. Um, as we gather together over these next few weeks, we hope you'll take advantage of uh, some of the resources that we put online at tccnarbor.com live uh, and if you are a guest with us for the first time or, or maybe have connected with us recently and, and you would like to know more about treasuring Christ, uh, we pray that we're, we're not always meeting in this way and one day we'll be able to gather again soon. We would love to be able to connect with you and to, to help you know more about treasuring Christ and how you can get involved. Make sure to fill out a connect card or, or send us an email uh, or drop us a note in the comments below so that we can get connected with you. Well, this morning we're going to begin our sermon series that we began two weeks ago called A Journey to the Cross. Our series was intended to to really walk us through the final days of Jesus's life as he headed to the cross. Uh, As we do this over over the next few weeks, we're really preparing ourselves for Easter because Easter is all about Jesus's journey to the cross and his victorious resurrection from the dead. But, but I want us in, in taking this journey to the cross in Luke chapter 22 through 24, not just to follow Jesus on his journey to the cross, but for ourselves to take a journey to the cross. You see, the cross stands at the heart of Christianity. It's through the cross that you enter into a relationship with God. The cross beckons every person, to come to Jesus in repentance, to, to turn from our sin and to, to trust in him. But the cross also uh, defines the Christian life. It's, it's what gives shape to the Christian life. It beckons us to be transformed and nourished, not by what we've done for God, but, but what he's done for us and has accomplished on our behalf. And, and as we started this series a few weeks ago, we didn't know then what we know now. Uh, All of us have been on a journey of sorts Uh, over the last few weeks as we've all made sense of COVID-19 and its impact upon us. we, We have all had our lives affected in some way, shape or form. As I think about what this looks like, I can, uh, you know, just get overwhelmed sometimes by all the changes that it's meant for for us as a as a society, and even even here close at home within our church, our our everyday lives are are changing. Perhaps work is the same, and and just abundantly more stressful and difficult. Or you're working from home, or you're trying to survive. I mean, teach your kids from home as they're away from school or childcare. Maybe you're unsure if you'll have a job on the other side of. This, I mean, the the economic impact of all of this this last week is becoming more and more clear, and it's it's really frightening and staggering. Uh, if you look and think about it too much, and and on top of all of that, we're constantly uh, confronted with the fear of perhaps contracting this virus, or more more recently, the the fear of being the one who who spreads it. And if uh, if you are watching the news at all? It is exhausting. I recently saw an article by the World Health Organization that basically said, "Stay away from sugary drinks, don't smoke, and don't watch too much news." And that perhaps is the best advice I can give you: Don't drink too many sugary drinks, don't smoke, and don't watch too much news. All of this, all of this journey, has been exhausting, whether it be physically, emotionally, or spiritually. But as I as I've thought more about where we find ourselves today, I think God has a purpose in the midst of all of this. I know that there's a few things that we need and that this pandemic is bringing to the surface for all of us. Number one, we need more God. We need more of God. We need more of, of his word and we need more time with him in prayer. We, we need our eyes to be open to who he is uh, and to, uh, to trust him and to draw near to him. But I also think we need to be open to what God wants to do in our lives, how God might be speaking to us in this particular moment. Does God have your attention as all of the uncertainty swirls around us? Does God have your attention right now? Oh, before this moment, we were so distracted with all of the, the busyness of our lives that God didn't have perhaps our full attention It would be a shame now if in this moment we are so distracted by all that's going on around us that we don't take time to stop and think about what God wants to say to us in the midst of this pandemic. I believe God's speaking. And the question is, do we have ears to him, to hear him? For many, COVID-19 has stripped away all that we're familiar and comfortable with. It's perhaps taking jobs and, and freedom to go about and health and, and leisure and sports. All of these things that we are accustomed to and familiar with are being stripped away from us. It calls into question things that we've taken for granted. Maybe uh, the, the reality of death, the, the ability to control our lives. We're, we're in an unprecedented time. A one in one every 100 years type of time. And I think in the midst of all of this, God's trying to get our attention. God's trying to speak to us in a fresh way. The God who controls all things, even our lives, is perhaps speaking in the midst of our moment right now to grab our attention in a fresh way. To reorient our heart towards him to address some things in our lives that have been unchecked, some sin that we've excused or allowed, to refocus our, our life on Him, to reprioritize uh, what we deem important and what we value most. He, he might be doing this in a very painful way as He takes away some things that we've trusted on or depended on, perhaps even more than Him. Things like uh, our, uh, our conveniences and our, our pleasures and hobbies or, or our money. All of these things being taken away and God's calling us to lean on him, to trust in him in the midst of this. I believe God wants to speak to us. And as we make sense of what God's doing in our lives and what he's saying to us, I don't think that there's a better place that we could go to than the cross. The cross is where God speaks most clearly and fully to us. So Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 22 verses 39 uh, through 65 is where we will spend our time. I I, want to start by turning our our focus to, to Luke chapter 22 verses 39 through 46. As we begin to unpack this passage, I want to take a minute just to stop and pray and ask God that he would speak to us through his word this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to to be gathered in this, in this format this morning. God, I pray that you would take your word and that you would do your work in our lives. God, would you speak to us? Would you grab our attention and not let it go so that we might see what you want to say and that we might respond to you today? Lord, I pray that you would use me now as I open your word to speak uh, your truth into the hearts and lives of, of your people and to all who you might draw to yourself. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 46 really sets up the the rest of this chapter. It's a a passage that uh, really describes a familiar experience or a familiar scene in the Gospels. It's the, the scene of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with His disciples as He goes to pray and prepare Himself for the cross. You see, in this passage, we get a glimpse both of our need for the cross and God's provision of the cross. Uh, and, And as we look at God's provision of the cross, we're going to see that it is no cheap grace. It is a costly grace that He's provided for us. In fact, really, these verses unpack what I want us to talk about this morning. Our great need for the cross and God's gracious provision for the cross. The first thing we see is our great need for the cross. Look at verse 39. It says that Jesus came out and went. As was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. No doubt if you are reading in the context that Jesus is going to this usual familiar place, as was his custom, so that Judas, who has now gone to betray him, would know exactly where to go. You see, Judas... Judas is thinking he's going to betray Jesus, and Jesus is, is going, as was his custom, to the place that Judas would find him. It's a, it's a reminder to us that, that Jesus is no, uh, no victim of the plans of man, but it's, it's God's will that he goes to the cross, and we'll see that unfolded in this passage. But as Jesus goes to the garden, it's interesting to note what's on his mind. In verse 40, we see as Jesus goes to the garden and he came to that place, it says that he told his disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then he goes away and prays. And, And at the end of this passage, in verse 46, as Jesus comes back to his disciples, he says to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. As Jesus is about to, uh, to face the, uh, the most weighty moment of his life. The, the moments before the cross as he uh, contemplates what it will mean. The cost of the cross. The thing that's on Jesus' mind are his disciples. The thing that he's thinking about most are his disciples. And, and their temptation. The, the temptation to perhaps... Fall away, as we see with Peter in just a few moments, as Peter will deny Jesus. And in fact, if you go back to verse 31 earlier in this chapter, we saw that that Jesus told the disciples, he said that Satan has demanded that he sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. See, the the word temptation can refer to the temptations that we have to sin, our sinful desires leading us astray. But, but it also can refer to a time of, of trial or great testing. In fact, I think we see that very thing here in this passage, that, that Jesus knows He's about to go to the cross, and His betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion will be a great trial, a great time of testing for His disciples as they're scattered about. Now, we see both of these come together, that really in this trial that the disciples are about to face, there's, there's often temptation to go our own way. Uh, to, to choose our sinful desires and to, to reject God and His Word. I think we see them both coming together, that the disciples here are, are burdened by what they're facing. It says in verse 46 that they were heavy with sorrow, but they're also uh, unprepared for the temptations that are going to come their way to, uh, to deviate from God's plan and to, uh, to turn away from Him. I think we experience both of these as well in our lives. Temptations to sin, to to go our own way, as well as times of of great testing and trial that, that frankly, is just overwhelming. That's where many of us find ourselves today. And and Jesus, as he addresses this great need of our temptation, he he shows us his solution. He holds out to us uh, the way in which we can endure temptation and trials. He says to pray. Prayer is the way that we endure temptation to sin and trials. It's it's the the very means of God through which we can endure and turn away from temptation and that we can be faithful in the midst of our trial. I I think about our current circumstances and I think about the deadly combination of of anxiety and isolation and loneliness that that often set up a circumstance where we are prone to uh, to chase after our sinful desires. Maybe it's uh, sin in relationships with, with a spouse or your kids or with a roommate. It's, it's easy as you bring a bunch of sinners together and you tell them that they can't go anywhere and you don't have enough toilet paper. You're bound to sin against somebody. Maybe not the toilet paper part. But it's a, it's a scenario in which we're prone to temptation, prone to sin, prone to, uh, to choose our own desires this is a time where, where sin is, is ripe for the taking. The, the opportunities perhaps to, uh, to, to dwell on things that, that aren't honoring to God. To, to, to look at things. To, to watch things. Look, Netflix is great. Watch your favorite show. But, but it's also tempting to watch the things that you shouldn't watch. It's tempting to, to busy yourself with the things that aren't honoring to God. Temptation to sin. Pray, Jesus says. How do you fight temptation? How do you fight the desire of of anger or or lust or or pride or selfishness? Spend more time talking to God. Not more time talking to yourself about why you need this or why this is right or why they're wrong. Go to God. When, When we face trials, when we're overwhelmed by our circumstances... And it's hard to, to trust that God is really in control and um, and that we can uh, we can believe and rest in him. It's in that moment that we need to come to God and pour out our heart before him, telling him our honest struggles, but also declaring what we know to be true about him. Prayer is the means of God that God has given us to endure temptation and trials. I, I was thinking about what, what this would look like practically or maybe to help us wrap our minds around this. And I thought about the solar eclipse in 2017. Uh, I don't know if you remember where you were at. I remember having a, a watch party at a, a coffee shop that, where I lived at the time. And a solar eclipse is when the moon uh, passes before the sun and either partially or fully blocks the sun. Um, and as I think about an eclipse, uh, here's, here's what's true. At the moment when it's the darkest in an eclipse... At that moment, do you know that the sun is still there and still shining? The moment of greatest darkness. And yet the sun is still there and still shining. It's just blocked from our view. I feel like that's what temptation and trials do. It, it blocks our view of God. The, the clouds of trial, the darkness of temptation that comes over blocks our view of God that we, we can't see him. But God is still there, unchanged, unmoving, full of grace and mercy. And how do we reach up through the darkness and through the cloud and grab hold of God? Prayer. We take hold of Him by prayer. And, and friends, if I can be honest, I have busied myself with all kinds of things as I've sought to fight my temptation or my anxiety or my fears as it relates to what we're currently going through and, and frankly other experiences in my life. And, and the one thing that I can be so slow to do and that we can all be so slow to do is to stop and reach through it all and grab hold of God whose loving grace and kindness is unchanging. His steadfast love is there for us if we reach out to Him in prayer. No cloud of darkness, no eclipse can change the fact that God is still there, unmoved and unchanging, ever loving and abundantly gracious. We see our, our need for God and for the cross and our temptation, but also in, in our spiritual darkness in, in verses 47 through 53, we see Judas' betrayal of Jesus. And, and really, the, uh, the next three scenes, we're going to see this spiritual darkness unpacked. And we won't walk through this as, uh, as in depth, but I, I want to point a few things out to you about our spiritual darkness. Look at uh, verses four, 52 through 53. When Judas comes to Jesus and betrays Him, Jesus says, Have you come against Me as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. But this is your hour, the power of darkness. What Jesus is saying here is, is the darkness that, that really permeates this passage. In fact, this whole passage takes place uh, during the night. It's, it's under the cover of darkness that Jesus is betrayed and denied and mocked. But it's not the physical darkness that Jesus is talking about in verse 53, it's the spiritual darkness. That's at play in Judas's heart and in Peter's denial and the soldiers' mocking. At this moment, all the forces of hell and Satan and sin have conspired against Jesus. And Jesus says, this is your hour. This is the power of darkness that comes against Jesus and that seeks to stop his plan and put him on the cross. But, but isn't that the beauty of the gospel? in that, in that Satan's plan... To put Jesus on the cross, to put an end to Jesus was the very means of God to put an end to our sin and bring us to Himself. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's what we see here. But it reveals, as Jesus says to them, this is your hour, the power of darkness. He reveals that He's in control. But He actually exposes their spiritual darkness. Again, in, in verses 47-53, through 53, we see Judas's betrayal. He doesn't betray Jesus from afar, but he draws near and betrays him with a kiss. It's the greatest form of betrayal that you would be betrayed by one of your own friends and by such an intimate action. By the kiss of a friend, Jesus is betrayed. It shows us the the very uh, depth of sin and the the nature of uh, our rebellion against God. And we, we see not only Judas' betrayal, but Peter's denial in verses 54 through 62. After Jesus is arrested, in verses 54 through 62, we see that, that Peter follows along from a distance as Jesus is taking to the high priest's house in verse 54. And then in verses 55 uh, through verse 60, we see Jesus not only betray Jesus once, not only twice, but three times, just as Jesus had told him. Jesus told Peter back as we looked at in verse 31, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. And when you've been restored, he said to Peter, after you fail, turn again to me and strengthen your brothers. But we see Peter. He's he's asked the question by a servant girl. Hey, weren't you with Jesus? No, I don't know him. And again, a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, you were with him. No, I don't know him. And then once more, you were with the Galilean. I don't even know the man. He says in verse 60, I don't know what you're talking about, but that moment he remembers Jesus's words that before the rooster crows, he would deny him three times. And Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. We see the spiritual darkness of our hearts that though we would be so confident that we're going to follow God, that we find ourselves giving in. Giving in to our our desire for for comfort and convenience. uh, Running from God's plan. Running from His will rather than embracing it. Darkness. And then we see the spiritual darkness of the soldiers who mocked Jesus. It says in verses 63-65, through the men who were holding Him in custody were mocking Him as they beat Him. As they blindfolded Him. They kept asking Him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against Him, blaspheming Him. It's interesting when you look at uh, these soldiers' actions, what they're actually doing in, in mocking Jesus is they're, they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, I can't fathom that God would use a weak and pathetic man like you to accomplish his plan. You think you're the Savior? You think that, that you are going to deliver us, that you are the rightful king over our lives? Give me a break. Who just hit you? They mock him because they can't fathom that, that God would somehow be at work in a, in a weak, beaten down, and crucified man. Pride. God couldn't do that. God couldn't work in that way. God couldn't save me like this. They mock in pride and it reveals their spiritual darkness. And, and their spiritual darkness, so let, let me be clear, the finger points right back at you and me because their spiritual darkness is a, a window, a mirror, if you will, into our own. We, like Judas, have betrayed God and gone our own way for selfish desires. We, like Peter, have denied Jesus out of comfort or convenience. And and we, like the soldiers, have have mocked God and hardened our hearts towards Him in pride. We see our great need for the cross, not only in our temptation, but but our spiritual darkness. But here's the point that I, I want to press home to you. There's a contrast in the spiritual darkness of Judas and the soldiers and the spiritual darkness that we see in Peter. And it's all about their response. Both Judas and the soldiers respond to God in pride. But Peter responds in repentance. Peter weeps. And we know from the rest of the gospel that he, he repents. He turns again to God and is restored. And we're reminded that our spiritual darkness doesn't write the story for us. We may have gone astray. We may have betrayed and mocked and denied and sinned. But God stands ready to forgive us and to to restore us. This is His grace that He holds out to us. You can respond to your spiritual darkness in either pride or repentance. Which have you chosen? Which are you choosing today? Are you allowing God to speak to you? Allowing God to reorient some things in your heart? To reshift some priorities? To put your focus anew on Him? In this passage, we see our great need for the cross through temptation and through our spiritual darkness. But we also see God's gracious provision of the cross. If you go back to uh, verses 41 through 45, as we see Jesus there in the garden, this is really the heart of it. And you can't understand um, uh, our great need for the cross apart from, from what Jesus does here in these verses It says here in verse 41 that he withdrew from them a a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's it's here in the garden that we, we really get a sense of the cost of the cross. We get a sense of what really troubled Jesus about the cross. It was honestly staggering. You can see the Son of God. Burdened and in agony because of what was before him. I said earlier that the, the gracious provision of God comes to us freely. But, but it is not cheap grace. It is costly grace. And the cost we see in the cup. The cost is revealed in the cup. Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Now, the cup, if you were to look in the Old Testament, uh, this idea of a cup being poured out uh, or drinking a cup is uh, is a symbol of God's judgment, his wrath against our sin. all the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk, Zechariah, others talk about God's judgment in this form of a cup, but none do it more poignantly than Psalm 75. Verses 6 through 8. Listen to verses 6 through 8. It says, For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, foaming with wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drink it down to the dregs. The cup is pointing to the cross. It's there that Jesus would bear God's judgment against sin. It's there that Jesus would absorb the full wrath of God against our sin. This cost is staggering. Verse 44 describes Jesus as he continues to pray. It says he prayed more earnestly and he was in agony. Sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He was in anguish. He was distressed. The weight of what was about to take place was upon him. But, but I want you to understand it wasn't the nails that were about to go into his hands and his feet that caused this agony. It wasn't the, the mocking or the, the cuts and the blood that would pour out from his back or from his brow that was troubling to him. It wasn't the humiliation that he would endure on the cross. Now that, that's not what put him in great anguish. What put him in great anguish was the full weight of God's judgment against sin. Scripture says it this way, that he who knew no sin would become our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It was the innocent for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous. Isaiah 53 says that the Lord was laying on him the iniquity of us all. And Peter later on in his life, in one of his letters would say this, he himself, in First Peter 2.23, he himself bore our sin in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's what Jesus had in His mind, that in His body, on the tree, He would die for our sins, bearing the wrath of God. Father, if You're willing, remove this cup from me. In this passage, really, we see Jesus' as his humanity on display. It's, as we look throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus is... Fully human and fully God. His humanity doesn't compromise his deity and his deity doesn't compromise his humanity. Here, the Son of God is staggered by the cost of the Father's will. The Father's will was to crush the Son, to put him on the cross. The answer to Jesus' prayer is no. No. I won't remove the cup and Jesus doesn't begrudgingly accept that, but he willingly accepts it and says, Father, nevertheless, your will be done, not my will. He submits fully to the father's will, fully and willingly embracing the cross on our behalf. Here we see God's grace in Jesus willingly accepting the Father's will to go to the cross. As an aside, I mentioned that God's answer was no, but, but God shows Jesus that he's not alone. He, he comes through an angel and ministers to Jesus and strengthens him. And, and just as we talked about earlier, in our temptation and in our trial and, and our moments of great spiritual darkness, God can come to us and strengthen us if we but reach out to him. And Jesus shows us that very pattern here of what it means to pray and to have access to God through prayer. But more, more importantly, it's here that God's grace is on display as Jesus willingly accepts the cup of God's wrath against our sin. What does this fully mean for us? It, as I thought about how to, to best describe what it means for Jesus to, to drink the cup of God's judgment for our sin in our place, I couldn't help but think about another cup uh, here in Luke chapter 22. And in, in verse 20, uh, in Luke 22, we see Jesus is uh, instituting the Lord's Supper with the disciples. And uh, he takes a cup after he's broken the bread and he holds it up. And in verse 20, he says, um, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The Gospel of Matthew uh, unpacks that a little bit more fully for us. And we see uh, in Matthew 26, verse 28. And where Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Here's what it means for Jesus to drink the cup of God's judgment for our sin. Because Jesus drank the cup of God's judgment against our sin, we can freely drink the cup of God's forgiveness. He drank the cup of God's judgment so that we might drink the cup of God's forgiveness. That's grace. That's what Jesus holds out to us today. The cost of the cross to to bear the full weight of God's judgment and wrath against sin comes to us as a free gift of grace that, that Jesus took our judgment so that we might be forgiven and stand as children, as sons and daughters of God. On the cross, our great need and God's gracious provision come together. How do we live in light of the cross? What does this mean for us? Well, let me just apply it this way that in our spiritual darkness, we we run to the cross. In our spiritual darkness, we, we know that there's the light of God's grace that's revealed in the cross that says, come to me. You need me. You may not have seen it before, but now you see it so clearly that you need God. You used to go your own way, but now you're willing to turn to him. And surrender to Him. You used to mock or deny or, or turn your back. But now you know you're, you were guilty all along. And God invites you to come to Him. Here, here's the good news of the gospel. That while we were busy betraying, denying, mocking, being indifferent. Antagonistic towards God. Jesus was interceding. He was praying for us. Jesus was going to the cross for us, bearing God's judgment against our sin. Jesus was rising from the dead for us. When we demanded to go it our own way, Jesus submitted to the will of the Father and said, Your will be done. And by submitting to the will of the Father, Jesus accomplishes salvation for you and for me. That's the good news of the gospel. In your spiritual darkness, there may be a moment where you think to yourself, I can't come to God. The darkness of your circumstances you may think keep you from coming to him. But that's no, that's no truth to, to bank on. The cross reminds us that God came near us in our pain and our sorrow. Our circumstances are no hindrance to God. His power is displayed in our weakness. His, his power was displayed in the weakness of the cross. The soldiers couldn't fathom how God could be at work in this Galilean man who was being mocked and beaten and going to a cross. But it was through Jesus that God accomplished salvation for us. Your circumstances aren't keeping you from God, nor do they mean that, that God somehow doesn't care about you. All of it is pointing you to the cross and inviting you to come to Him. And, and if, you're, if you're listening today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but God is speaking to you today and you know that the spiritual darkness is talking about you. Would, you. would you just be honest with God for the first time? Would you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I've, I've gone my own way. Spiritual darkness is what I've lived in. But I believe that you died for me. The cross was for me. You took my sin and you defeated my sin and death when you rose from the dead. I give my life to you. There's nothing magical about that prayer, but if that's the the desire of your heart and you want to follow Christ, I I pray that you'll let us know. Leave us a a note or or send us a message in the chat below so that we can connect with you and help you in learning what it means to follow Christ. The greatest decision you'll ever make is to give your life to Jesus. But believer, what does it mean for us to to be defined by the cross, to live in light of the cross? In our temptation, and our trouble, we must run to him. In your temptation and your sin, do you know that that Christ took your sin, not in part, but the whole, and nailed it to the cross? You're forgiven of the guilt of your sin. The power of your sin doesn't have to have the final say anymore. I know it all too well when when sin rises up in my heart and I want to sin against, uh, whether it be my wife or uh, in a response to a circumstance. Or or those desires come back to, to go down some of those familiar paths. That used to lead us away from God. God says come. Come to the cross. What I offer is better. Don't be enslaved in sin. Be free from, from, from sin by the cross. You're not an indebted to sin. You're indebted to God. So don't go back to your old ways. But, but walk in the freedom that the cross has afforded you. Jesus drink all the cup. There's no condemnation in Christ. Live in that. Walk in that. But also, I I know that that we experience trials and we're experiencing one now. Oh, We need to hear more than just the news about COVID-19. But as I said at the beginning, I don't want you to miss what God's saying to you in the midst of it. As these clouds uh, of darkness and the trial of COVID-19 overshadow and, and, and hide us from the face of God for a moment. It's easy for us to be weighed down and discouraged and anxious and afraid. But remember the cross. On the cross, Jesus dealt with your sin and secured your future. When He died on the cross, He dealt with your sin. And when He rose from the dead, He secured your future. So in our trouble, we're reminded that Jesus knows what we need. He intercedes on our behalf. He was interceding before us, for us before we got to this trial and to this trouble. And He'll be doing so in the midst of it. What do we have to fear? Jesus has paid the price for us on the cross. And what we need in this moment more than anything is to, to reach through the clouds of darkness that surround us and uncertainty that surround us and take hold of God who's unchanging and unmoving, whose love and His grace is there freely for us if we would but reach out to Him. I want to end by pointing you to Romans 8. Familiar words that capture so beautifully what we see here at the end of Luke chapter 22. Romans 8 verses 31 through 39. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, he also rose. And now is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress. Or persecution or famine or nakedness. Or danger or sword. As it is written. For your sake all day we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced of this. I am sure Paul says. That neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How do we know? Because of the cross. There our great need and God's gracious provision met that we can always be sure that we can reach through the clouds and grab hold of God who's unchanging and unmoving. I pray that we don't miss what God's saying to us in the midst of this pandemic, but that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see the message of the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, God speaking to us in the midst of our need. (laughs) Temptation is so real. It lurks in, in all of our lives calling us to to go our own way. God, keep us from sin. And when we find ourselves giving into sin, make us quick to repent. God, spiritual darkness surrounds us at times, it seems. Perhaps there are some who are listening whose spiritual darkness is their reality and they want to, to get out of darkness and run to the light. God, today would you draw people to yourself that they might trust in you. God, for some of us, we don't know how we got here, but all of a sudden we find ourselves a lot farther from the light than we would like. Maybe we've excused some sin. Maybe we've been wrestling with some things we haven't fully dealt with. Maybe our priorities have gotten out of whack. God, would you help us to come to you? God, thank you that we can come to you not because of what we've done, but because of what you've accomplished on our behalf. Thank you that you took our judgment on yourself so that we might receive your forgiveness. Thank you that you died in our place so that we might live united to you. God, thank you that the cross speaks to us in the midst of our trials and our troubles, that we can reach out to you. You you show us in your word that you can be found in prayer, that you're there unchanging and unmoving, though our circumstances can sometimes tell us differently differently. We but need to to reach out and take hold of you in prayer to know that you're there with us and that you'll sustain us and strengthen us that we might faithfully follow you. God, we we pray that you would help us to, to humbly day by day come to the cross. Help us come as humble, repentant sinners. And God, every day let us leave and live in light of the cross where our great need and your gracious provision meet. Father, we love you and we thank you for Christ and for the cross. We ask that you help us to respond now with the praise that you are due. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.